If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. There's so much more once we learn how to, to just understand that there are many equally as good options. I think instead of seeing things as equally as good options, people see things as my way is better than your way. To inspire change in the world, we have to understand how to communicate respectfully and effectively cross-culture, especially in this day and age where everything we put out onto the internet can be accessed by people around the globe with differing worldviews, cultures, life experiences, privileges. So how can we communicate powerfully to people who are different than us without sounding tone deaf? Where disagreement is inevitable, how can we disagree deeply with no hard feelings but with positive and collaborative energy instead? Instead. And what are some of the roots of hatred and division in our world and how do we begin to address that so that we can come together under this common mission of sustainability? Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is a three-time TEDx speaker, coach for changemakers, consultant for global leaders, and host of the leading podcast on cross-cultural communication called As Told by Nomads. He is a busy, busy man, but I had to get him on the podcast because, first of all, he is such a wise dude with a huge heart to bring more harmony and peace to our world. And secondly, because in the name of sustainability, we do have to communicate effectively to people who are different than us, we have a lot to learn from this guy who is an expert on bringing people together in spite of their deep differences. And to understand how this first came to be his purpose and expertise, we have to go back to his childhood and the very particular way that he grew up. Green Dreamer, here's Tyle Roxon. You know, I, I've always been born in different. So I, I, from Nigeria originally, that's what I identify as. But by the time I was 17, I'd lived in five countries and four continents. And so before I dive into why I traveled and lived around in those places, I want to give you a background of what Nigeria is like. So Nigeria, largest black nation in the world, country of at least 250 ethnic groups. And, um, you know, I'm from one of the, the biggest tribes, which is called the Yoruba tribe. And so 
in a you know in a place that's that diverse with it, that many people, the differences exist on the tribal elements. You know, you're from this tribe, you're from that tribe. So that was sort of my first exposure to differences. And then add up uh, on top of that the fact that I grew up under two military dictatorships initially, and so a lot of the positions of leadership were based on which tribe uh, you're from and, you know, what types of uh, ties you had to the government. And so there was that element as well. So it was very complex layer of difference. So May 29, you know, 1999, we transitioned into civilian rule. And that was when a lot of things started to open up for Nigeria in terms of sanctions being lifted and things like that. And my dad's job as a diplomat now started to take us all over the world. And I remember my first real exposure to difference, at least how I processed it, was when I, when my dad's job took him to Burkina Faso, which is a country in West Africa. And I was this skinny Nigerian kid with a thick Nigerian accent in a French-speaking country in an American international school going through puberty. <laughs> right? So, so lots it of was all these, yeah, lots of changes. So I had just gone from just navigating, you know, different tribes to now navigating what it's like to be, a, a, you know, a black person and, and not even just like uh, a black person and an African because there were, you know, there's African-American there as well. And so in a place where everybody felt different, I felt different. And, and it was also the first time I remember seeing white people outside of my television screen. And so <laughs> it, it, it was uh, or not even just white, Asian, anyone that did, it wasn't necessarily black. And so that was my level of, of difference. And then I continued to you know move on to different countries, you know, Sweden, Burkina Faso, Vietnam. And and those um, those helped me really uh, dive into what I do today, which is try to bridge culture divides. You know, I started off in the military dictatorship. I found myself as having an identity crisis as a kid. And now I want everybody to feel confident enough to be themselves across these differences. Yeah. And at what point did you realize that this was a gift of yours and it's something that you can use to help others? Uh, the passion was stoked in me when I was 10. That that moment, that that 10, 11, that moment when I felt that different because it wasn't, you know, as a kid then you just want to fit in, right? You don't want to stand out, you know? The idea when someone's telling you, oh, your food smells different, your hair looks different, <laughs> you sound funny. Uh, that was, you know, kids give me cruel. So, you know, that that was immediately pointed out. So I, I would come back home and cry a lot. And then my mom would, you know, just, just you know, I love my mom. She didn't know what to do. So she, she would just tell me, look, you're great. You're great. And as a kid, you know, you're like, you're just saying that because you're my mom. Um, but then I, I came at a point where I was like, I didn't want to um, let that uh, be the rest of my four years. I was going to be there for four years. So I started to look for connectors and sports for me was my connector. And I saw that then I could only play soccer, but then I saw the people playing basketball. And so I studied the game of basketball because I saw a lot of people playing it. And I did what any 10 year old would do. When you want to learn a basket, when you want to learn a new sport, I went to the library <laughs> <laughs> and I checked out all the books in basketball and um, I, just so I could know the fundamentals. I was like, I found out that there were two doctors in basketball. It was Dr. Naismith who invented it and then it was Dr. J who played for the, the Sixers. And then I checked out all the Sports Illustrated for Kids magazines and it was the same sort of thing where I could familiarize myself with the current players. And so I started to develop that habit for what it's like to be a connector. And then when we, when I finally felt well-versed enough. I went to the best basketball player on campus, Michael Albright. And I said, hey, Michael, I've sort of studied this game. Can you teach me how to apply it on the court? And um, our one-on-ones, he said, yes. Our one-on-ones became two-on-twos and three-on-threes and four-on-fours and five-on-fives. And all of a sudden, our differences didn't matter then. We had a common goal, and that common goal was to win. 
And that experience sort of exposed me to what a potential uh, world could be like if we applied that to real world situations. And um, I began to study like the Nelson Mandela and Oprah Winfrey from then on. That's so beautiful. You were a very wise child. Um, <laughs> if there is one thing you learned about humankind from having traveled and lived in so many different places growing up, what would that be? One of the things I've learned is um, a lot of humans, they don't like things that are different from them. And when, my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So it's as much a celebration of, of your personal worth, uh, worth and beauty as, as it is about celebrating diversity. But I've noticed a lot of people, they tend to dehumanize things that are very different from them. And you can see this throughout history, right? Whether it's you're from a different religion, we're going to do a crusade. Different uh, color, you're not. You're not here. You, you're not assigned. Different gender, you're not. You know, you can't work. You can't do that. And I, even when in the workplace, sometimes you're from this generation, you don't understand. And I've noticed that that seems to be a lot of default for a lot of emotions. You know, it's why how a lot of wars are started, how a lot of um, propaganda is stoked. And I'm more on the trend towards humanizing because even though hate and intolerance or ease, easier emotions to tap into, I think we need to go into the love and open-mindedness aspect of that because there's so much more once we learn how to, to just understand that there are many equally as good options. I think instead of seeing things as equally as good options, people see things as my way is better than your way. Mm. And um, it's just been, it's the same sort of thing. I mean, we were, my continent was colonized by Europe because you know, and the way that we were colonized was Europeans came over, carved up the continent, not based on tribes or anything, just people, people were all of a sudden dislocated. Like you could be, even though you were not supposed to be a country, they said, this fits my natural resource needs. So we're going to put this here and England's going to take that, France going to take that, all that. And so, yeah, I've noticed a lot of people don't tap into the emp empathetic emotions that we can have, and uh, we dehumanize more than we should humanize. Yeah, and this is really at the core of your work today. And I'm curious what your professional journey has looked like that's led you to becoming a three-times TEDx speaker and thought leader <laughs> in business and influencer to watch. Well, it's definitely not been easy. Uh, if you're the oldest in a Nigerian household, the, the idea of, of being an influencer is, is a foreign concept. You know, you're supposed to be a lawyer, doctor, or something, engineer, you know, any of these things. That's what my dad says about me, too. So he's still a little confused what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, my parents are on board now, but they're like, I don't know what you do. You know, I can't really. I don't know. I mean, you, you're on the Internet. <laughs> yeah. But um, for me, the professional journey was was very interesting because at a very early age, I sort of was, I always joke, I was born an adult. I knew I wanted to do something on a global level. Didn't quite know the path though. So I, first of all, when I came to America, I was like, maybe it's going to be law. And I took like a few pre-law classes. Like, no, nah, man, I just prefer watching that on TV. Um, I knew early on it wasn't going to be medicine just because science is not my strongest suit. And I then thought maybe the United Nations or something like that. Or nonprofit, and then I kept doing all these things throughout college. But when I, when it came time for me to apply for jobs, I applied to over eighty five jobs, um, and they all said no. You know, these were all along the lines of nonprofit and, and international relations. And so I found myself in a position where, you know, I was a uh, I needed to find a job to keep me in the country, and eighty five plus people had said no to me, and so. I just temporarily gave up and I took the first job that gave me an offer. I went back to all the people that had given me internships in college. I was like, hey, look, this is my situation. I'm from Nigeria, need an H-1B visa. What do you got? <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, one of them eventually said, hey, we, we got something for you. It ended up being a sales, uh, sales job. So I found myself in a position where I'd never, this is a world I'd never even dreamed for myself because I, you know, I thought I was gung ho on changing the world. And um, my biggest worry was now how to make $10,000 a month for my sales quota. And so I, I was sort of just lost there for a little bit, for a year and a half until August 22, 2012. I was driving to work in my burgundy Toyota Camry. And, um, you know, I, I stepped on the accelerated pedal, the part where the road merges into the highway because uh, it was time to get there. And I got to 60 miles per hour because I followed the rules. <laughs> and, and and that was that was it in Virginia. And then um, this neighboring car loses control. And so I'm seeing it and I'm trying to swerve out of the way so I don't get hit. But it's already cut my lane in the half. And then I, I, I smash into the, the left guardrail. Oh. Hit one car. Boof. Hit two cars. Boof. Oh uh, the God. right guardrail. Boof. Left guard, poof, this time the car's perpendicular, about to flip over the bridge. I'm 22 years old. And the only thought that comes to mind is, have you done everything you said you were going to do? And you, you remarked earlier about how I was like, you said I was a wise earlier kid. I was the kid that wanted to change the world, Nelson Mandela and all that kind of stuff. And I just realized in that moment that I hadn't done anything. And my, you know, everything was happening so fast. I, my instincts kicked in, kicked in, slammed the brakes, somehow got out of the car and the most remarkable thing happened was my car was totaled, two cars were hit, but I was in one piece. And I have chills uh, right now. I couldn't believe. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I can't. I was in one freaking piece. I, there was no way I should have even survived that without um an injury of some sort. And I took that as a sign. I quit my job shortly after that and moved to New York City because um, this is anyone listening to this. If you feel a spark or someone has given you a spark go there. And New York City was just somewhere I'd, I think I'd I visited one time. And I was like, I just feel energy here. I just have to be here. So I came here, got to pl- placate the parents. Hey, mom, dad, going to get education and MBA even. Ah, my son. Good job. <laughs> All right. Okay. And then New York City became my campus. And so I just went down this, this quest of discovering what it was I was good at. And I was very confused. But so I said, why don't I just start with my story? And I found that the term that is used to describe people like me is third culture kid, right? This refers to the people that spent the formative periods of their lives outside of the parents' culture. So diplomatic kids, army brats, missionary kids, you know, people that just sort of grew up everywhere. And I, I knew that the problem I wanted to solve was this idea of connecting across cultures and why people sort of see differences as barriers. And so I embarked on a social experiment. I wanted to answer the question, why do we live in a globalized world and a digitalized world which is what we live in today, still people don't know how to connect across cultures. It seemed like an interesting paradox I wanted to fix. And so I went on Twitter, found out that, you know, use the hashtag, hashtags can be good, um, hashtag TCK, hashtag third culture kids. Searched, searched that, created a list of people that put that in a bio or said something about it. And then I basically reached out to them and said, hey, I'm launching a podcast. I want to tell our stories and talk about how we can embrace our global identity. I think it'd be cool. And um, do you, would you be interested in talking about that? And I went from that position of 85 job rejections to 85 plus people saying, yeah, sure. Yeah, great. And I jumped the gun a little bit because I didn't really know how to create a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned that weekend. I bought a uh, podcast course, quickly learned how to do that. And then I started Skyping like we're doing right now. And that was the first step for me in the career. I was like, okay. I feel some sense of authority here because I'm not having to chase someone else's dream. Like this is uniquely me. I'm coming from a place of um, power here because I'm actually generally curious. So find a place where you can, you're generally curious about and you can um, uh, operate from a place of power. And so 
that started to go on. I was going to school at night and interviewing people randomly at different hours of the day because of different time zones. And then I started to, to write and change the content of my blog post to really share my stories. And I found different TCK groups on Facebook and LinkedIn. And anyway, I just contributed and just provided value one after like, this is an episode I did on that. Here's my thought on how I helped my career. Here's my thought on how I overcame um, identity crisis. And over, over time, I built yeah, people people start to associate me with the word to the point where I remember a few people saying, "Hey, thanks for inventing TCK." I was like, "I did not. That was in the '50s. It wasn't me." <laughs> and so it gave me insight into what I could do. I just didn't know how to turn that into money. And um, one of those moments when I was pretty pretty just down on myself because I was like, "I have a good audience. I've built this, and I'm getting close to graduating, but I know I'm not going to do anything with this degree because I've I had that near death experience, and I'm not having that again." I had a, um, you know, a listener reached out to me and said, "Hey, I work at the World Bank. Um, we don't, we're not, there's no money to pay anything, but would you be willing to speak?" And the only thing I heard was World Bank, and she said, "Speak." And she said she's been listening to my podcast. I was like, "Yes, I would love to speak." And it went really well, and it just sparked this idea train in my head. I was like, "What if I leverage this into?" A speaking thing where I could go to different audiences and start to speak and go on from there. And then I was like, okay, that was the first, that was the first seed. So I had a podcast, I could speak. That's one revenue. And then in the last few years, we've had many th- things happen from the last year's election to going further back to Black Lives Matter to the cops and every other thing and Brexit and all these things. People started to reach out to me and say, hey, can you come talk to the company? Our company is looking to hire for diversity. You've lived in all these countries and all that kind of stuff. And I saw in my mind, oh, I could consult. I could help companies figure out how to attract people that are different from them. I've always been a different one. I can share all those concepts. And then I was able to then leverage the podcast into speaking, into a consulting career. And then the, the, the last element of how I made it turned into a career is that a lot of people who had observed me and watched me were aspiring change makers in the field. And they had watched me sort of go through this windy path of you know, in New York City, I've been fired twice, right? They've seen me get fired twice and come up, uh, figure out ways to, to stand up or something like that. And they're like, hey, can you teach me how to one, build a speaking career and one, build a platform based on my expertise? Because they, we've seen you do it. There was no career in your field before you did it. So can you help me do that? And so that became the third revenue uh, model. So it's the speaking, it's the consulting and the coaching. And then we have me here talking to you. Yeah. So you really just, you kept putting your work out there. And that's what led to all these opportunities that came your way and then you just took them on. Yeah, I, but it wasn't the easiest because throughout all my time in initially New York, I, I, you know, I, there were, I was fired twice. I was broke multiple times. All those things happened. I needed to understand how I could attach my passion to a world problem. And the world problem was the lack of understanding of, of difference and, and inequality. And I positioned my personal story portfolio because I at that point my podcast has consistently been going on with this credibility and it made a few lists um, and then you could add reviews in like oh you spoke at the World Bank credibility these things are then something you can leverage to pitch to other companies and then you get one or two companies they give you testimonies you start to go back and forth one publication sees you they go to your website they feature you here it's a whole snowball effect and you have to learn how to tell that story yeah so it was really one step at a time it wasn't 
overnight or anything. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, from having talked to so many global leaders and having worked with so many different people, what mistake do you most frequently see leaders make in terms of how they communicate that detracts from the message they're trying to get across? I think that sometimes some leaders operate only on good intentions and they, they forget the inclusiveness in that. So good intentions is great, but you always have to be inclusive. I've seen many times companies said, you know, maybe they'll watch something in the news like, oh, I'm going to change. I'm going to my company's going to be different. I'm going to do something. They write up a brief and then the next morning they're saying something. But then they missed out on on how tone deaf that could sound to a certain group of people. Or they're going to put out I'm going to put out a commercial. And we're going to put this out there. And you might have said a word that affects another person. And so it's the lack of listening. Or saying, hey, this is an idea I have. This is how I feel. But hey, I'm wondering to, you know, just curious to hear, do you think that this is something you buy and do you feel like it affects you in some way? And and this is where we dive into intersectionality, where it's the idea that um, a queer w- a white woman could experience something different from a black man, uh, where, you know, there's the, you could say there's white privilege on one end, and you could also say there's male privilege on the black side. But at the same time, there are still different things that are happening at the same time. So how are you being intersectional where there are different levels? It's not just a granular, simple, oh, you're black, you're white, you're Asian, you're this. So that means that every single Asian is like that or every single black person is like that. It's getting to the deeper levels of, of um, um, difference that people feel. And so I think leaders need to just get into that element of practice uh, listening and being more inclusive in all the decisions that they have. We're putting out a commercial. What do you think about this? Do you feel like it, it reaches our target audience? We're putting out a policy. Does this affect mothers? Or does this affect um, um, our men the same way as, as it affects older women or older men the same way it affects the younger women? And so that type of thing is, is what I feel like is being um, missed out on. Yeah, so understanding is at the heart of it all. In order for us to communicate more effectively, we have to first understand the people we're trying to talk to. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's such a very simple concept, but it's very hard to practice because I think a lot of people just run off good intentions. They, if I see someone get shot, I feel bad, I'm going to do something. But that's not necessarily what you should do first. You need to, you don't understand something until you fully experience it. So have a conversation with people that will tell you, hey, can you tell me how this feels? What would you like to see changed? How how has it been in the last few years uh, when we put out these policies and how have you felt like you weren't able to fully be, be yourselves? And one of the most important questions a leader can ask is how can I make you feel like most yourself at work? How can I make you feel at most like um, can, I can I make you feel most like yourself at school? And I can make how can I make you feel most like yourself as a, as a colleague? And if we start doing that more, we get closer. For sure. I feel like today it's all about community. People want to connect with like-minded individuals. And I think that's great. I'm in some communities myself for this kind of support from people like me. But at the same time, I also know that there's immense value, maybe even more value in connecting with unlike-minded people, if that's a word. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you're right. It's about finding that balance. And and, and I love that you said that because I, I say this often too. It's not that we're saying don't connect with like-minded people is that we want you to get used to the idea of equally as good alternatives. Just look at the world right now. Let's say we just, just keep it to the United States. Why is there a hair section and an ethnic hair section? Why can't that be hair, right? So th- these are simple, subtle biases, right? Why does a nude patios only look like one color? What happens to the other side? And these are simple things. I did a talk to um, uh, to a bunch of middle schools, middle schoolers um, last year, and one of the she was 12 at the time. She sent me 
you know, she did research on me and she was, she gave me all this long, heartfelt message. But one of the things she said was, I felt like I couldn't voice out anything because in all the stuff I've studied, no one looks like me. Yeah. Right? So all these simple things, right? So how do we get everybody else to feel what, you know, a lot of people can feel? And, um, yeah. And sure, you can definitely keep your friends that are like-minded, but make sure, understand that not everybody gets to feel that way as well. For sure. And even within this community of change makers, people all with good intentions, wanting to help improve the world, it's natural for people to disagree on the approach and solutions to how we can improve our world. And I think disagreement is totally okay. And most of us are fine with agreeing to disagree. But how do you think we can do this in a way that doesn't foster feelings of I don't want to say hatred, but like dislike or negativity underneath, especially when it has to do with our deep differences. Like, how can we disagree deeply without having negative feelings bubble? That's, a, that's such a phenomenal question. It, it all comes down to, um, you know, the same thing that I was doing when I was learning basketball. And and what I learned was we were all of a sudden our differences didn't matter. Right. It was the idea of like finding common ground and mutual purpose. So there should always be a way to find shared meaning. And even if, if you have different values and, and things like that, the, the thing is, how about trying to make the environment safe enough for you to do something? So you can do two things. One of the first ways I always say is to practice the yes and. And a lot of actors in improv, they know what this is. It's, you know, it's basically this practice where, you know, an actress presents you a scenario and your job is to accept that scenario instead of negating it or belittling it. You just have to accept that scenario and build upon it. And then you volley back and forth. And so I'll give you an example. Someone says, I hate Cristiano Ronaldo. He's too selfish. And you're like a Ronaldo fan. And you're like, oh my gosh. Okay. Well, um, I mean, I love that you value compassion and, and selflessness. Uh, I also value compassion and selflessness. That's the yes, yes aspect. Um, here, and then this is the and aspect where you're building. Here are some moments where he uh, was selfless and, you know, all that. And the other person's like, oh, well, yeah, okay, I guess that's true. But this, what about this? What about that? That energy initially that the person had is slowly going down because that person feels like you you had a common ground on something at least. And you're saying, you're giving them different examples. And so even if both of you might still end up feeling the way you feel about Ronaldo, it's very different than you coming across in that negative way. Mm -hmm. Also, silence and avoidance is not the answer because it's like Martin Luther King said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. And I, I also think people have this mindset that you have to choose between being honest or being effective or being honest, speak your mind or lose a friend. And so then I'll ask those people to say this, examine your motives. What do I want from this conversation? What do I want for myself out of this conversation? What do I want from the other party out of this conversation? And what do I want from the relationship moving forward? After you've asked yourself those questions, you then ask yourself, how will I behave if I want these results? Now, what this does is that it allows you to sort of let go of your ego and pride and focus on the goals, but it also allows you to take inventory of your body and make sure that, you know, you're like, okay, okay, this is what I want. I'm not trying to lose this person. And, and I don't know, lastly, a lot of times if people don't agree with you or there's this tension, it's usually two things, you know, they don't believe you care about their goals in the conversation or you don't believe that you that they care about your goals in conversation and they don't trust your motives. And so how do we try to diffuse the situation and, and make it safe? And so it's just all about that. Shared purpose, mutual, mutual goal, 
trying to de- uh, diffuse the situation to make sure that the environment is safe and understanding that there's a separation between the person and the idea and your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And from everything that you've learned, what do you think our world needs most today for there to be less conflict and more collaboration so we can work together towards a better and more sustainable world? So I say it in three ways. I think we need to learn how to educate, not perpetuate, instead communicate. Mm-hmm. Educate, don't perpetuate, instead communicate. In the education piece, it involves two things. That's education of yourself as well as education of your environments. Education of yourself is very important because you need to know who you are, how other people perceive you, and how your actions impact others. Self-awareness is so key. But it also gives you an insight into your biases and and your unconscious biases. And if you're able to get some insight into that, you're able to then know what to work on. It's the idea of making the unconscious conscious. Education of your environment is this idea that the world is bigger than you. And, and if you want to succeed in it, you have to understand it. And I learned this from my dad as a diplomat is, you know, whenever he went to different parts of the world, his job was to bridge the connections between Nigeria and whatever it was posted. But he that involved understanding the policies as reg- with regards to human resources, international relations, um, you know, finance, all that. How many of us actually do the due diligence of understanding the environments we live in. And even in your community, do you know the local laws? Do you know how the same set of laws affect other people? Do you know the 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 makeup, the social economic makeup? Do we do that due diligence? Um, and then the don't perpetuate then. This is, it's very important. You know, it's, are we perpetuating stereotypes through jokes, through things that we put in, 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 in the media? Are we perpetuating systems that keep uh, oppressing people by sharing false news? Or are we, living in echo chambers that only validate our own opinions? Do we surround ourselves with people that are different from us? And how do we break out of those things? And if you don't do that, you're going to end up perpetuating whether you do it on purpose or um, in, you know, um, involuntary. And then the communicating piece is just what I just shared. And in the last question you asked me is, is making, getting used to the idea of being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And it's, it's just this concept of being, getting used to being the minority putting yourself in a position where you're the minority on a, on a, on a regular basis. Well, I'm always a minority everywhere I go because of what my, my life has been. And it's a concept that I found that it's helped me do what I do today because it just exposes you to many things that you might not have known. And so I just encourage people to educate, stop perpetuating, instead communicate. I love that. And what are your highest hopes for yourself and what's next for you that we can look forward to? <sighs> Thank you. Um, first of all, this has been a great, great uh <laughs> interview. So thank you for that. Um, highest hopes to me. I mean, I want to impact a lot. I want to build and help develop 3 billion leaders. There are 3 billion people under 30. And I'm doing that through multiple ways. You know, I'm uh, just um, I'm getting ready to close my one-on-one coaching with, uh, um, you know, a few leaders who are aspiring to, change makers who are aspiring to expand their brand and, and move on, you know, whether it's to develop speeches, signature speeches or signature programs or build a career out of that. There's one element I really um, continuing continue to work with companies in various ways from startups to multinationals. And, um, you know, the podcast is, is, is the best way I share stories. And so uh, you can consistently look out for me doing all those things, whether it's me, you know, coaching or one-on-ones and it. All this stuff is on my website, tyroxen.com. Amazing. So you have tyroxen.com. Can we find everything there or where else can we follow your work online? Yeah, tyroxin.com is the digital home. You can find everything there. Uh, but if you want to look at me on social, it's at tyroxin, you know, Instagram, um, Twitter, everywhere tyroxin. And um, the podcast is called As Told by Nomads, and it features change makers, features entrepreneurs, features business leaders from different parts of the world who are 
who have different ideas on how they're solving problems and they offer tips on how to be a better entrepreneur or how to be um, a better change maker in today's world. Before we go into Tayo's final five tips for you, I wanted to say, you know, if you can just think of two humans who you think would find this episode valuable and could share it with them, that would help the podcast so, so much. Also, though, for real, if you have friends or colleagues who aren't so great at disagreeing nicely or who you feel like would benefit from learning more about how to understand better over judging or perpetuating, just slip this episode to them because it'll be good for you, it'll be good for them, it'll be good for everybody. So do that. But anyway, for now, on to our final five and key takeaways. Let's power through. What's one publication or social media account you follow for inspiration? Two people that really inspire me a lot are uh, Will Smith and uh, The Rock. And I feel like they're both like my spirit animals. But uh, I'm so glad Will Smith came to Instagram. But I just love... If, if you follow me on social media, you, you know that I, I'm pretty energetic, but I'm also very corny. But at the same time, I always drop, you know, as much um, value bombs as I feel like I can. And um, I think seeing those people who are at the height of the career still staying hungry and doing what they want to do, it just keeps me going. You know, whenever I feel like, oh, I'm not tired. I'm tired. I just see the rock pumping iron in the gym. I'm like, all right, all right. He just flew, he just flew from China to promote his movie. And he hasn't slept, and he's right there to get up, Tile. Yeah. <laughs> so the, there's that. So the, uh, I'll say the the, the Rock and um, and uh, uh, Will Smith on Instagram. Yeah, and your energy on Instagram is really contagious because it affects me positively too. So thank you. For yes. That. <laughs> what do you say to yourself to stay motivated? If I don't do this, who am I? If, who, who doesn't get to hear my message? I asked myself that question, and I always think back to the accident. I mean, I've known that I wanted to do something on a global level since I was 10, really. But the accident was it's just a reminder of how short life is. I've also seen my I've also seen the effect of my dad being shot. My dad's been shot multiple times. And and that just also is a great reminder of like, oh, my gosh, anything happened. So I just think about the people that I could miss out on reaching out to or helping if I don't do the work now. Mm-hmm. And what's a must do for your health? A must do for my health. I think health, it's the three, you know, it's, it's mental, physical and spiritual. So I, I, I always make sure I get in a workout, eat healthy as much as I can. And then uh, it's, you know, on the spiritual level, it's just making sure that my mind is right. And then, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, it doesn't matter what religion you are. I'm a Christian, but I, I always think about just making sure that I am um, centered in that way. Yeah. And what's a simple action we can take for our planet's health or to just improve our world in some way like today? You can do what I like to do. Put a smile on five different people's faces every day. And let me tell you why. If you practice this act of putting a smile on five people's faces, you're, you're going to have to do several things to get that smile. It could be a compliment. It could be a simple smile. Or it could be you noticing something about something. Either way, you are you're practicing this energy of positivity. And you never know. And the idea of finding something to make someone smile is something that gets you in such a great habit where your day is off to just full, full on positivity. And, and you never know what types of relationships can, can form from that. And um, so, yeah, practice doing putting a smile on five people's faces every day. Yeah. What makes you most hopeful for our world right now? I, well, I think what makes me most hopeful is the fact that um, in the last few years, we've gotten several interesting presidential results or policies happen. And I've seen 
how our generation and younger has, has reacted, even when it's with the marches, with the, the gun violence and all that. I think we are learning how to use social media to galvanize people um, around common interest and to tell stories. And so I'm, I'm very, very interested in this representation movement that I see going on. And I'm, I'm, I'm super happy to see people take ownerships and stop relying on like, you know, the Hollywood or all these people to tell the stories. People are just saying, I'm going to tell my story. I'm going to launch a podcast. I'm going to launch a YouTube channel. I'm going to create an Instagram account. And I'm pretty excited about that. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? It is my mission statement. It is use your difference to make a difference. And, and this is why. Because there, your greatest superpower is, 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 is you, is yourself, is your identity. There is no other you. It was a miracle that you were born. And so if you have an idea, please feel free to test that out in multiple ways. I thought I knew on some level that I wanted to do something on a global level. But it took several, you know, several steps. It wasn't uh, being a lawyer. It wasn't in the U, being in the UN. It wasn't working for the nonprofit. It, it ended up being me somehow finding out a way to tell my story and then giving other people a platform to share theirs, which gave me an opportunity to practice all the expertise I had. Practice telling your story more as authentically as you can, and then your gift will come out of that. Use your difference to make a difference. Green Dreamer, here are my two takeaways for you. Number one, to help us foster a more collaborative, safe environment within sustainability so that we can build on each other's ideas and get more innovative with our solutions. Get used to the idea of equally as good alternatives and practicing yes and. Number two, even if we have the best of intentions, it's still really important for us to ask questions first and to consider how our messages can be perceived differently by different people. This is a hard one because it's really hard to know exactly what every person thinks, but it starts with us just first acknowledging that people have different worldviews, different life experiences, different privileges or a lack thereof, and then us being more mindful of that accordingly. And there, that's a wrap. It's time to go out there and to make some waves. As always, if you have any feedback to share with me, you know where to reach me on Instagram, on social media, at Kamea Shane. And finally, remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and Green Dreamer, I will catch you later.